LMT is a lens by which you assess all economic understanding. The street is full of corruption. It is baked in to every aspect of our society. 1900s, Lenin was predicting global finance capital would do all the things it's doing today. This is written over 100 years ago. All right, everybody, it is Steve, the Rogue Scholar, and I want to thank everybody for joining me today. Today is a special day for me. Um, it's September 15th, and those of you that follow along with my life at all, um, I uh, got sober. I had my last drink September 15th. Uh, for those of you who followed my story, you know that my father uh, snatched my keys from me, even in his frail state, and uh started my journey of not drinking and that was uh, a few 24 hours ago and then my father died conveniently on the day that i got sober 10 years to the day later uh, september 15th 2016 uh, today represents all kinds of mixed emotions bittersweet motion moments uh you name it um here i am going live uh to talk to you guys about something that is universally even more important love you pop miss you um we're going to talk about uh, a great article that came out um it was by jason hickel and two other individuals and i'll just share my screen real quickly with you so you can see it and then we're going to play the article so we don't have to listen to steve read it here we go so this article is by christopher alt colleen schneider and jason hickel how universal public services can end the cost of living crisis. Uh, government provision of basic human needs like healthcare and housing can fight price shocks and save the planet. Folks, can save the planet. So I hope that as we go through this thing that you guys will start really considering um, you know, the impact of universal basic services as opposed to just the constant cry out for universal basic income. I never quite understand why that catches people's uh, attention instead of the more expansive, the real robust uh, opportunity that we have here. So let me go ahead and bring up the article or excuse me, the video of the article. Thank you, Jules, for making this. Um, and if you guys real quick, before we get started, let me just say this. Jason Hickel started out a positive money guy. Now, I don't take credit for Jason's conversion. I take a part in it, but I don't know what that is. I think he's been deeply involved with other academics, in particular, some folks at Torrens University that are part of the master's degree of sustainable economics, which Dr. Hale, Stephen Hale, um, really led the charge setting up. He and uh, guys like Phil Lawn and others really, really put their careers on the line to do this. So I'm hoping that um, by doing this, that you guys will be able to really, really learn what we've been talking about and hear it straight from them. I can't wait to hear this because I think Jules picked a female voice for this. But let's go ahead and uh, put it on. We'll see where it takes us. The cost of living crisis has escalated to a point where many working people in Europe and around the world face a choice between heating and eating. Governments have broadly failed to address this crisis. In Britain, our politicians betray a lack of vision. Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister, kicked off 2023 with pledges to bring down inflation 
and reduce the national debt, which suggests curtailing public services. The next day Keir Starmer, the labor leader, said that his party would not be getting its big government checkbook out if it wins the next election in 20, thus making clear his economic policy would not differ significantly from that of the conservatives. For both parties, the go-to answer to rising prices seems to be austerity. Meanwhile the German government has discovered to its own surprise that it has the biggest checkbook in Europe. But it has used this power primarily to subsidize a shift from Russian fossil fuels to Qatari fossil fuels. Long-term delivery contracts, vastly oversized liquefied natural gas terminals, and increased short-term coal extraction all signal that the coalition of social democrats, greens and liberals is ready to tackle inflation at the expense of climate policy. This is a nonsensical strategy not only because climate breakdown poses existential dangers, but also because it is contributing to inflation. And without rapid emissions reductions this will only get worse, exacerbating the very problem the coalition seeks to solve. What British and German politicians fail to see is that this is a watershed moment. Existing solutions to inflation either sabotage working people or sabotage climate goals. But there is another way we can solve the cost of living crisis directly with universal public services, and taking this approach can help us achieve our climate goals at the same time. The social crisis and the climate crisis can and must be solved together. Not everyone has been hit by the current price shocks in the same way. Energy companies, for one, posted record profits in 2022. The chief financial officer of British Petroleum bluntly told investors that it's possible his company is getting more cash than we know what to do with. But while corporate profits have rocketed, workers are being asked by the Bank of England not to demand wage raises. In this context, rising consumer prices effectively shift income away from working people, a point that movements like Enough is Enough in the UK have been making forcefully. Recently even prominent mainstream economists have realized that inflation is, in essence, a distributional conflict. Current policy responses, namely central bank interest rate hikes, are only aggravating the problem. If this approach works at all, it does so by depressing incomes and destroying jobs, predominantly jobs done by the most marginalized workers. We need to be doing the opposite. Instead of causing additional suffering, we need to ensure a just way out of this crisis, with interventions that directly target the underlying drivers. According to European Central Bank statistics, inflation in the euro area over the last months has been driven in large part by food, transport and housing. Energy costs play a key role in all of these and this in turn is directly related to the climate crisis. Although the ECB has begun to talk about climate deflation and U.S. Democrats have rebranded a climate-related industrial policy bill as an Inflation Reduction Act, concrete policies that address the connection between the climate crisis and the cost of living are sorely lacking. Fossil fuels accounted for up to 50% of consumer price inflation in the Eurozone during the spring of 2022. The degree of dependence on fossil fuels is strongly correlated with consumer price inflation across EU member states. High demand for energy in the COVID recovery, paired with constrained supply of Russian fuel exports since the invasion of Ukraine, has driven price increases which have been exacerbated by speculation and price gouging by energy oligopolies. Climate change is already impacting energy production. In the summer of 2022 a massive drought eliminated much French nuclear power capacity because dried up rivers were no longer able to cool plants. In China the biggest heat wave ever recorded forced hydropower plants off the grid, leading to higher demand for fossil fuels to replace the missing energy. When energy demand presses up against the limits of supply, prices react. While many countries in Europe have responded to energy price increases with cash transfers, direct measures are much more effective at stabilizing prices. Such policies include taxes on windfall profits to limit price gouging, as the UK, Italy and Spain have done to some extent, as well as redistributive price controls. But the only long-term solution is that Europe needs to phase out fossil fuels and increase renewable energy production. 
and to do this fast enough to meet existing climate commitments it is necessary to reduce excess energy demand. Achieving this in a just and equitable way requires two things. First, reducing the purchasing power of the rich, and second, ensuring that everyone has guaranteed access to the essential goods and services they need to live a good life. This forces us to confront a paradox at the heart of our economic system. Wealthy economies have high levels of production, with resource and energy use vastly exceeding sustainable boundaries, but they still fail to meet many basic human needs. This occurs because, under capitalism, the goal of production is not to improve well-being or achieve social progress, but to maximize and accumulate corporate profit. So we get plenty of SUVs, fast fashion and planned obsolescence, but chronic shortages of essential goods and services like public transit, affordable housing and universal healthcare. Ecological economists argue that one of the best ways to deal with this problem is to establish universal public services. Public services mobilize production around human needs and well-being, and can deliver strong social outcomes with lower levels of resource and energy use. It also enables a more rapid, coordinated shift to more sustainable systems. By decommodifying and democratizing key sectors such as food, mobility, and housing, we can solve the cost of living crisis by directly reducing prices and help solve the climate crisis at the same time. This requires reversing the current tendency of neoliberal governments to defund and dismantle public services, which has led to the extraordinary crisis that is presently engulfing the NHS and the railways in the UK. The cost of food has been impacted not only by the war in Ukraine, export bans by Russia and India, and COVID-related supply chain issues, but also by global heating. The entire American West, China and large parts of Europe are facing severe droughts, which has led to a number of crop failures, lower yields and higher prices. This is a long-term trend that will only accelerate if we don't increase climate action. In 2020, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change projected an increase of up to 30% in the price of cereals by 2050 due to more extreme weather. The capitalist food system is a major driver of climate change and ecological breakdown. Addressing this problem requires a general shift towards more plant-based diets, relocalization of production where possible, less food waste, and regenerative production methods. This approach would also help to separate agriculture from the fossil fuel sector, as food production would be less reliant on fertilizers and transport, thus helping to insulate food systems from related inflationary pressures. As food price increases are also driven by financial speculation, banning this practice would contribute to stabilizing prices. In fact, a major step in addressing the cost of living crisis is to decommodify access to food. To do this, governments can fund regenerative farms and gardens linked to public grocery stores and community kitchens to ensure universal access to nutritious, affordable, vegetarian foods. Such a system would reduce food waste, land use and energy use, delivering significant ecological benefits while also relaxing pressure on food prices. The costs of transportation throughout Europe have increased substantially. As of July, the transportation inflation rate for the EU was hovering at around 14%, well above the average of 9.8% across the entire consumer price index. Energy prices and COVID-related shocks have contributed to this, but climate impacts are also a significant cause. Extreme weather destabilizes transport infrastructure. This summer, 47% of continental Europe faced drought conditions, leading to river levels so low that ships were only able to carry a fraction of their normal load. For consumer goods transportation, inflation can be controlled by localizing production where appropriate, thus reducing the need for long-distance transport, and by reducing production of and demand for luxury or otherwise less necessary goods. This approach deals with costs while also delivering important benefits for climate and ecology. As for personal mobility, we can directly reduce costs by investing in public transit systems. Spain offers an important example here, where the government used a windfall tax on banks and energy companies to fund free regional public transit. 
affordable or free public transit systems helps to protect people from energy price inflation. And this approach is also necessary for climate policy, as transit systems use far less energy and emit far less carbon than private cars per passenger mile. Housing, meanwhile, constitutes the single biggest budget item for most people, and costs have increased dramatically in past decades. People often spend 30-50% of their wages on rent alone, and buying a house is often unaffordable. These dynamics are driven by rising energy costs, constraints in the global supply of construction materials, and the commodification and financialization of housing as an asset class. Recent euro-area inflation has been driven in large part by housing costs, including the costs of domestic energy use. Ensuring access to affordable housing is essential to minimizing cost-of-living threats. This can be done through prioritizing owner-occupied homes and socializing the rental sector, thus ensuring fair, Vienna offers an example where two-thirds of the present housing stock is social housing, a key contribution to the high standard of living in the city. Housing is a major driver of emissions, and a public housing program can be used to ensure a rapid transition to more sustainable buildings. Massive public investment is required to insulate and retrofit existing buildings to improve energy efficiency and reduce emissions. At the same time, homes in areas affected by heat waves need to be designed to maximize natural cooling and ventilation. This is a matter of social equity as well, as the poorest and the elderly are often most affected by inadequate housing and extreme temperatures. Universal public services can deal with the cost-of-living crisis by taking steps to decommodify living, while at the same time reducing energy and resource use, ensuring the possibility of a good life for all within planetary boundaries. This approach should complement, not replace, collective bargaining. Strikes certainly make sense in this moment and universal public services should be added to unions' demands. As for immediate fiscal transfers that help struggling households, these are clearly necessary right now but do not ultimately solve the problem. Universal public services address the crisis at its root and amount to a strongly redistributive fiscal policy, since the commodities that now provide essential services make up a larger proportion of costs for lower-income households. Increases in the cost of living driven by the climate crisis are a long-term and escalating phenomenon. Tackling it requires taking democratic decisions about how resources, energy and labor are deployed, shifting production away from capital accumulation and toward what is necessary for human well-being and ecology. The current crisis provides an opportunity to form a new and potentially powerful alliance of movements united behind the demand for universal public services. As a famous Yellow Vest slogan puts it, coping with the end of the month and coping with the end of the world call for one and the same political struggle. Folks, if you haven't heard anything I've been saying. I want to be crystal clear. I have basically been saying this for nonstop. And I want you to see something else too. This really burns my ass. It's so important, but I can't get people's eyes to stay on it. Can't get their focus to stay on it. And it drives me insane. Okay. But I want you to see this. So when you think about what I had talked about with the basically working with groups outside of the electoral process, uniting and building the power outside of the political process. People roll their eyes, give me lectures about how they their life was and what they think and so forth. Nobody wants to hear that stumping for Marianne or Cornell or trying to play games in this electoral system the way it is. The way it is, folks, we have no power. Not there. It's got nothing to do with us not having power. We have shit tons of power. It's just that that system is built to diffuse our power. It's not built to consolidate our power. It's not built to allow us to have a voice. It's built literally to stifle us, to give us the belief that we have power while simultaneously ripping it away. Check out last Friday's 
problem with electoralism that I did. Please, if you haven't watched it, check it out. I beg you, check it out. But if you read this, this is really important. The current crisis provides an opportunity to form a new and potentially powerful alliance of movements united behind the demand for universal public services. As a famous Yellow Vest slogan puts it, coping with the end of the month and coping with the end of the world call for one and the same political struggle. I really genuinely don't understand why folks are so hellbent on thinking they're going to vote their way there. That Cornell West is going to ride in on his trusty steed with his shield and his uh, saber, and he's going to ride to victory, and he's going to change everything. I hate to tell you, folks, this electoral system is the barrier to real change. The Supreme Court is another barrier to real change. The Senate is another barrier to real change. These are all within the system that if you keep pouring yourself into, you're just taking away from the opportunity to do this. We need huge movement. We need people that don't get sidetracked in what Jimmy Dore said about Peter Dow or any of the other bullshit that you see sucking up all the oxygen in the activist community. None of that worthlessness is where the real energy needs to be poured. I've said it and you know, whatever I want to live. I got kids. I want them to live. I want them to have a great future. And so I'm begging folks to focus on this, begging folks shift what they prioritize to this. You could do both, but not in the absence of this. And because people are economically illiterate, they don't understand how we can achieve everything that was stated in this article. Now there's a great white paper that came out, really wonderful paper, same three people, might be the same thing for all I know, okay? But I want you to understand that every single bit of this was with the understanding of modern monetary theory, literally, MMT, everything, this channel, this organization has tried to give you guys in spades to the point of exploding. We have been giving it to you for almost a decade. People have scoffed. People have been like, oh, I'm bored. I don't want to hear that. And they go on other things. And oh, let's get trapped in social media wars about Peter Dow. The time wasters that give us that shit are not leading you to these things. And we have got to find a way past those gatekeepers, that, that network of people that ignores this stuff. And we have to find a way to make this sexy and important to them. Because if we don't do this, we die. They die too but they'll die in a social media war instead of something substantive like this. I think to myself, if you're going to focus on how to solve the problems, start with an understanding of MMT and add in a steady state MMT driven economic plan. Okay. Now, one of the things they talked about, we've talked about this extensively is the way that these idiots at the fed and supported by neoclassical economists focus on addressing the issues we face. And that is to A, raise interest rates, destroy employment, jack prices up, cause pain and suffering amongst the people to quote unquote tame inflation. They gave you a blueprint here. It's a 100% step-by-step blueprint for how to achieve it. Now, The Voice, because we had to fit this thing in under 10 minutes to get it to fit into StreamYard, was a little speedy, a little fast. Watch it over again. I put the link to this article in the actual narrative of this podcast or this, this uh, YouTube show. Please check it out. Read it in your own leisure. 
read it so that you absorb it and understand it. I have put so much time and energy in macro and cheese to put this kind of information in your hands. And I've been trying with macro and cheese. Actually, our team, our organization has bent over backwards to create a discussion group on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. where you get to actually listen and talk together amongst the community to come up with ideas, to fill in gaps in your knowledge called macro and chill. It's free to the public. Everything we do is free. We don't charge for anything. We beg you for some, uh, actually, I don't even beg. I I rarely even mention our Patreon account. I very rarely mention any kind of donations, but we are a nonprofit. So your donations are tax deductible. We could use your help over there at Real, Pro- Real Progress in Action right here is our activist side. It's not the uh, 501c3. So I beg you to support our efforts on the education side where we can literally bring together a, a mass awakening, a mass awakening um, as, as part of a larger block of, of groups. We have to do this. We have to do this or we don't succeed. We, we die. And right now, I, I got to tell you, I, I, you probably won't appreciate this because most of you probably don't listen to the same kind of music I do, even though, yes, this is the Grateful Dead. I also listen to a lot of very, very, very heavy stuff and some weird stuff too. And like falling in reverse guy has got this great song called the end of the world or, uh, you know, as the world, watch the world burn or the something like that. And it covers every form of genre of music. He starts out basic rapping. Then he starts totally rap battling Then he goes rap God. Then he goes new wave punk. And then he goes into the heavy drop at the end. But this guy is a libertarian, anti-woke, you name it. And his videos and his music are super powerful. But they are recruiting folks to this freaking libertarian lifestyle, this, you know, screw your wokeness, blah, 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 and all this crap. And I'm telling you right now, it's not leading us to focus on climate crisis. It's not leading us to focus on universal basic services. It's focusing on building up a group of people that are troll-like, that are ready to fight with everybody, that are not literally willing to work together to create the kind of uh, space that we need. But I love the music. I just hate the message. I hate what it does. So I need you guys to really, truly understand something, okay? The way forward is universal basic services, housing as a right, food, sovereignty, you name it, all the stuff that we need to survive, local production to stave off inflation, to ensure the local needs are met. Why aren't we doing this? Capitalist accumulation. There's folks out there that deny the very existence of capitalism. They are not your friend. Even though capitalism as a construct could easily be changed based on the government, our government literally features capitalism as their approach, but it's not really capitalism in the sense that capital just owns things and the state is just this thing off to the side. No, the state has literally created this. The state could literally uncreate it. The state could literally uncreate it. Okay. And so as you think to yourself, yeah, I love this. I disagree. Let's, 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 let's deal with this. Hold on. Let's, let's hit this right on that. I disagree. We just need to do it across the board. Lower and higher offices need more progressives. Incremental change in office will happen. Jesus Christ. Life has not been evidentiary enough. We want to go ahead and get everybody to waste their effort on national politics. Vote. God damn it. Vote. But stop wasting your time, spending all your time talking about a candidate, talking about, oh, Peter Dow is this and oh, that. Fucking focus. I'm looking out there and I see all the people say this shit. All the people say this very comment right here. And not a soul, not one of them 
is actively fighting for universal basic services. Not one of them is actually fighting to build pressure outside of the political process to force these cucks, these money-driven groups, these groups that are bought and paid for by Wall Street, the Democrats, and fossil fuels, you name it, Republicans and Democrats, etc. Unfortunately, people haven't read history. They're too trapped in trying to, I'm the adult in the room. No, we've really got to focus on electoralism. And I'm telling you right now, I was once one of those people. I spent my whole time doing it and I saw nothing change. In fact, I saw everything get worse because of this fucking narrow minded. I don't have a clue about the world around me approach to the world. And so as a result of that, as a result of that pathetic lack of imagination on how to do things, because they didn't recognize any of the gains from the civil rights movement. By the way, was the civil rights movement a Democrat thing? No, it fucking wasn't. Okay. Any of the things, any of the massive change that we have seen has never happened as a result of voting for somebody and electoralism. It has never, absolutely never happened that way. It has absolutely never happened that way, ever. It has absolutely never happened that way. It's got nothing to do with the people. The people could be the greatest people in the world. It has everything 100% to do with the actual nature of the system itself. If you read your Howard Zinn, and I can tell who has and who has not, because they, they still have this childlike glow in their eyes that they believe that this system is there to help the little people. It's there to help the people, but it's not, though. If it was, you've got something, what, like 80% support of Medicare for all? 80% of the people support Medicare for all. It's maybe whatever. Significantly above passing grades in school. And you don't have Medicare for all. Why not? I'm telling you right now, the reason why you keep voting these fools into office is because you think you voted for them. But let me ask you, how many assholes out there actually voted for Joe Biden in the primary who thought Joe Biden was the right guy to lead the country forward? Little Mr. Joe, Joe, no, 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 don't stand there. We got to move. No, Joe, they're over there. Turn your head that way. Thank you, Joe. No, 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 Joe, 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 stay on the stage. Don't do that. Stay right here. No, they passed on Bernie Sanders. Why? Two times in a row, Bernie was winning every fucking election, every one of the primaries, only to have the establishment collapse and crush it. That has nothing to do with your voting. You voted your ass off. He won those primaries. They crushed it. Why? Because as people that don't listen to anything, they just keep marching like those 8-bit robots in the old video games against the wall. Dude, you got to turn. You, you're just walking into the wall. If you look back, the Democrats fought successfully. They fought successfully in court to block any kind of meaningful primary. They said, we don't have to run a primary, guys. We're not legally required to even respect the outcome of a primary. We're a private corporation that will select who we want. And, and then there was this hand wringing about superdelegates, et cetera. They don't even have to have a primary. And you see primary, they're not going to even have debates. Why? Because Joe Biden couldn't put two words together. The guy everybody forced into office, this neoliberal piece of shit who had 50 years of track record of making bankruptcy impossible, of literally making student debt discharge impossible, who literally could have stacked the court but chose not to allow the Republicans to run roughshod over him. But everybody, oh, no, we got it. I'm telling you, manufactured consent, manufactured consent. The reality is, is that we don't really have a say-so in that process within that system. We need to be able to fight outside the system and force that process to respect what we need. Now, I've said repeatedly for the hard of hearing, and I'm hard of hearing, 
Go vote. Vote till your tits fall off. Vote until your nose falls off. Vote until your feet fall off. Vote, vote, vote. But don't waste all this time doing nothing but talking about electoral politics over and over and over again. You've got an entire country of people that don't think we have a climate crisis. You've got an entire group of people that don't feel like there's anything they could do about it because it's too big for them. You've got an entire world of people that are hurting and instead they go into the, the freaking dopamine hit of electoral politics. It is absolutely a waste of time to spend all of that time focused on electoralism, when you've got to educate people. You know how many people, genuine, in your friends group, and your family even, at work, that don't have any clue that their federal tax dollar literally isn't paying for Latifa or Johnny or Billy Bub or anybody else that they dislike or the trans person or anything else or the, the immigrants or Israel or Ukraine. They don't realize their tax dollar doesn't fund any of that. But they will swear that it does, and they will live and die on it that it does. And that is where the education has to come. Because all of this stuff that we're talking about with universal basic services to stave off climate crisis, to bring inflation down, and to literally create a sustainable planet where kids can grow and thrive in a, in a world that is democratically run as opposed to this oligarch-driven capitalist shithole, okay? It's not going to happen by voting for a few more progressives, because let me tell you, I tagged a bunch of progressives. Every one of those progressives, if you look on my Twitter feed, Ilian Omar, uh, Presley, you name it, all of them, all of them run around talking about their hard-earned tax dollars. Even Nina Turner runs around talking about her hard-earned tax dollars, even though she had a momentary thing where she said, hey, the government creates the currency, right? No big deal. Wow, that was a shocker. But the vast majority of people think that their taxes have to go up, so they're going to stand firmly in the way of anything meaningful like what I just said with a universal basic service. Think about how quickly Joe Biden gave up on a Green New Deal. Think about how many shitty, like, pseudo-leftists that are really rightists, okay, that really don't give a fuck about anything other than they want to be able to use the N-word and they want to be able to shit-talk science. Other than that, those people right there are literally, literally taking your eyes off of any potential for having universal basic services. They ignore all of the econ and they put you to a Bitcoin discussion. They ignore all of it. So we are up against odds based on the propaganda from up above and based on grifters, grifters who literally spend all their time taking your eyes off of important things like this. Instead of us uniting outside of it, they've instead united with the, the mass libertarian movement of people that literally want to return us to a gold standard, want to literally cut all government spending, and literally would leave us fucking on our own, fucking shitting in one hand and pissing in the other. And I'm telling you right now, there is real stuff going on here that we need to focus on. Universal basic services. Imagine what the change in the economy would be if the government, instead of spending billions upon billions of dollars on the military industrial complex and millions and millions and millions of dollars of subsidies for the fossil fuel industry, instead of spending all, and not that they couldn't do it either way, but instead of spending it there, or in addition, even if the shitheads wouldn't change, even if we could just get them to spend on the people, universal basic services. It would fundamentally restructure the way society is completely, complete restructuring of society. And just by the local nature 
of bringing about local economies with local job guarantees paid for by the federal currency issuing government, you would suddenly have a new lease on life and all the fossil fuels and all the other things would decrease. If you heard Bill Mitchell, my last podcast with Bill Mitchell, please check it out, Macro and Cheese. Bill Mitchell talked about the very real threat of the U.S. military turning its guns on degrowthers, people that are trying to focus on this degrowth approach, okay? That's a very real thing. Why? Because there's so many yuck yucks in the United States waving their fucking flags, thinking they're doing miracles, okay, that don't realize that they're literally holding a gun to all of our heads. And so we've got to recognize that there is huge pressure, both from up above because of the capitalist production and the capitalist accumulation, and also from those who have been duped into believing it's the right way of doing it. That is a massive coalition. And our coalition on the resist side is bickering over the term woke because some fucking right wing, right wing asshole decided that telling people that were aware of the system, that were aware of the inequity in society, and that were aware of the approaches they take are suddenly the bad guys, the, the woke guys. Now, I understand. Let me tell you this. I completely understand weaponized identity politics. Fuck a shit lib. I'm not, I, in that sense, we're simpatico. I get it. Fuck a shit lib. The idea here, though, is that woke did not mean this bullshit that they're painting it out to be. And so we've got this dynamic to overcome as well, to change anything, to sh change anything. You've got to get rid of this perversion that they've turned into woke. I mean, they're calling Joe Biden the left. Joe Biden is not the left. Joe Biden is a kissing cousin of the fucking right wing Republicans. These guys, and mind you, I'm not a big deal about any of these parties because I recognize they're a construct. They're a similar to the Coliseum when they would have the, the warriors, the gladiators fighting. You need to have cheer, bread and circuses. This is the rooting section of the NFL. This is it. Democrats, Republicans, Democrats, Republicans. Oh, my God, you want the Republicans? And all of a sudden, the Democrats serve you up a shit sandwich. Let me tell you something. The Justice Democrats that I know friends of mine love and all are fucking morons. They don't understand MMT. They don't understand that taxes don't fund spending. So they're saying the same lethal garbage, the same lethal garbage. You get a few more progressives in there, and they're still pushing austerity. They're still pushing austerity. This is why an education campaign of biblical proportions needs to take place. We need to have, absolutely have, a massive, massive organizing and education push, or you're going to keep getting shit libs in there, even if you think you're voting for uh, uh, green or this. I mean, more of these folks think that, I mean, I, I love Shama Swant, but Shama Swant constantly talks about hard-earned tax dollars. Jill Stein always talked about hard-earned tax dollars. And every one of these people talks about hard-earned tax dollars. That is straight out of the neoliberal Margaret Thatcher, Ronald Reagan playbook. This crowd, there is no such thing as public money. There is only taxpayer money. This is the worthlessness of the neoliberal order. This is what Reagan and Thatcher did to prevent us from asking for nice things. And this has been going on for 50 fucking years with the Mount Pelerin Society, the Powell Memo, you name it. Do your research. Don't take my word for it or take my word for it and go fucking read it. But either way, the point is, is that what we're fighting for isn't going to happen in the Democratic Party. They're always going to go, oh, no, no, no. We must be pragmatic. We must understand. We must 
We must. We got to be realists. We got to be realistic. Okay, as the world burns. I mean, this is one of those moments where Ronnie Radke, as much of a libertarian shithead as he is, has it right. The reason why libertarians exist is because shit libs came and focused on all the wrong things. People are starving. People are freaking struggling. And the Democrats are busy sitting there selling these bullshit pay-fors, these bullshit means testing, these bullshit non. Give it to everyone. For fuck's sake, why are you trying to penalize? Just fucking give it to everyone. Okay. And the idea of once you make universal basic services a thing. You're going to see a radical change in society, but you can't do it through the political process because the political process is built to capture and to stifle anything that sounds remotely like what I'm talking about, anything like what I'm talking about. So anyway, now I got something to tell you all real quickly because I'm going to end this thing early. Um, I wasn't going to go live today, even though I'm fired up and pissing vinegar and wanting to. I found out today that I'm pre-diabetic. It's it's on its way. And then I've got serious issues with the venal support in my legs. Good, good arterial support. My veins are fucked. So I've got to go for an ultrasound to see if I've got some blood clots. Me fired up like I am right now probably didn't do me any favors. But I'm going for an emergency uh, uh, ultrasound here momentarily. So if you don't hear from me or see from me, that means that I was probably taken in for blood clots to the emergency room. That said, this is so important. There's nothing more important to me. I would, I'd die for this. I would literally lay my life down for this. So I, and, and I'm, I'm hoping that you all realize that it's that important. Our, our lives, are, it's just not a joke. And I don't give a flying fuck about Peter Dow. From what, by the way, quick note of Bene on Peter Dow. Peter Dow was a total shit lib, a hillbot, you name it. Peter Dow saw the disgracefulness of the Democratic Party. And over a series of years, I've watched him change. I hated Peter Dow before. I was once a Republican. I was once a conservative, radical right-wing Republican. I'm now a eco-socialist beyond. I'm beyond that. I'm something else altogether, way left. And I'm trying to tell you people change. So for all the shit talkers out there about this stuff, you better hope that Peter Dow did change because we need more people doing it. And if you're going to sit there and put your boot on someone's neck when they do change, don't expect change to happen. Just know that you are the anti-change agent and you're not helping a soul. I get it. Be skeptical. Have a, have a hawk eye. Have an owl eye. But we must allow people the room to change. We must. Because God knows right now, if we just went with society as it is, we're dead. Because society as it is doesn't give a fuck about nobody. Society as it is is buried and their own stuff. We've got to shake them up. We got to wake them up. We got to break the structure up. Anyway, I am Steve Grumbine. I really, really love you guys. I hope that I'm not boring you. I hope I'm not pissing you off too bad. And if I am pissing you off, I hope I'm pissing you off with all the right things. Anyway, um, yeah, I'm heading to the emergency room, folks. Have a good day, everybody. I'm out. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support our efforts please take a moment to subscribe and check out our other work on the real progress in action youtube channel and visit our sister organization's website at realprogressives.org 